1: Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of and Security for All. I hope everyone had a great week. I hope everyone's ready for a long holiday weekend and you're all ready for uh, July 4th. Hopefully, most of you guys are taking Monday and Tuesday off. I know we are here at um, FutureCon. We have been working like crazy We've been all over the country, and um, we're excited to um, have some time off and recoup. So hopefully everyone gets to celebrate what a great country we live in and what a privilege it is to be here in the United States. So I hope you all have a great July 4th. I'm actually going with my son and his kids and his wife. We're going out to Florida. I don't know how relaxing that's going to be. We're going to be at Universal Studios, but um, it should be fun to have family time. So today I'm very excited for uh, my guest. I actually, uh, he was out, he was our keynote speaker in Denver, and I'm very excited to have him here today. He was a big hit. Um, I have uh Merlin uh, Namath. He is the Chief Information Security Officer from Repay, Real-Time Electronic Payments. His topic that he talked about out there was truth, myths, and maybes. And what does that mean? We're going to find out. But I'm not even going to read his bio. I think that would be boring for me to do it. I think it's way better to to talk to him and let's uh, find out all about him um, in person. So welcome to the show, Merlin.
2: Thanks, Kim. I appreciate you inviting me.
1: Yeah, that was horrible. what happened. I want to make sure that doesn't happen again. I don't know what went on. My said my phone was on silent, but that's a first. But it is what it is, right?
2: Well, one, <laughs> one how many times do we we uh, you know actually like shut off our phones? So it's like I probably have to think on how how to actually shut my phone off. So
1: well, I know, and yeah, it's it's. I've been having some technology yeah something must be happening out there because um our our backstage person she was having some tech problems so you know all maybe it's one of those astrology astrology days that something's going on with tech but anyway happy to have you here so you were out in denver how's the weather in denver
2: you know it's it's a crazy crazy spring and slash summer now i guess we're in the summer now um um, since we um, did the conference, well, that was towards the beginning of June, I think it was uh, in Denver, and um, we've had extremely wet uh, weather here. Um, that oh, yeah. normally, so, so Denver's kind of a dry climate, and I think on average we get somewhere around 15 inches of precipitation a year, and we have gotten, I think it's like close to 11 now in, in the months of May and June. Um, it's just been extremely wet. We actually had a thunderstorm come through this morning. Um, here it is, June 30th, I have yet to turn on the sprinklers to wire my grass, which is about a month um, behind schedule, actually, because usually it's uh, about the end of May. So I'm enjoying that, not having to, um, you know, use wire to uh, wire my grass, but uh, yeah, it's just really crazy. So it's uh, a little difficult to get out and uh, enjoy the mountains without getting wet and muddy.
1: Yeah, I saw you guys had um, that big hail storm and there was a concert in your Red Rocks You know, and a lot of people were injured and stuff out there. I was actually out there last Friday, last weekend. I went there um, for the George Strait, Chris Stapleton concert. So you had downtown, you had about 300,000 people for that. And then you had Pride weekend, which was another 500,000 people. So, Mm -hmm. and there was no rain. It was actually a really beautiful weekend. So, and I've never really spent much time downtown. So that was different and fun. Nice. I, I it was a gift I bought for someone. I'm not really a country girl, but um it was it was definitely a fun people watching experience last yeah. weekend downtown. <laughs> so anyway, and did I mess up your last name? How do I say your last no, name? No, no, you got right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's oh me. yeah, it's just, just like, like Joe Namath. I think I said like Joe that Namath. yeah, when we were uh when we were talking in Denver. Yeah. So tell me like how did um we chatted a little bit, but um, how did you, tell us a little bit about your career path and how you ended up as a CISO, and, um, you know, lots of people out there want to know, how do I become a CISO, so how did you get there, and where where did it all start for you, Merlin?
2: Yeah, and, and I, I think my path, uh, my story is kind of similar to a lot of other people who've been in security for a long time. Um, that I did not major in uh, computer science or anything related to that in college. So um, so even before that, so I, I'm i originally from Nebraska. I grew up on a farm in Nebraska. And I went to college, I um, in my undergrad, I started off as a chemistry major of all things. And after uh, just the first semester of, of uh, Chem 101, I was like thinking, I'm like, wow, do I really wanna spend Forty hours a week working in a lab, and so I actually changed majors. I changed to psychology, and after I graduated with my psychology degree, I went to grad school and majored in social work because I was going to be a family counselor. I graduated with a lawsuit student loan debt and realized I wouldn't be able to do that, and I ended up in computer. So, my my journey to um, you know making uh, technology my career started in my undergrad. I, I um, I think it's about my sophomore, maybe junior year. Um, I started working in the student computer lab, and so this is way back. I, you know, I'm, um, I'm, you know, definitely older, so I'm showing my age here. But uh, this this was like running on Novell Network. Uh, you know, people were using WordPerfect for DOS. Um, you know, just those those ancient, you know, now ancient uh, applications. And so my job was to help people like with those applications and clear printer jams and and things like that. And then when I went to grad school. Uh, the social work department had just gotten wired for Ethernet, the, their building had gotten wired. And so I, I was kind of poking around trying to find a work study um, um, employment. And I, I ended up gotten, um, getting pointed to the lady in the social work department who was in charge of making sure that all the systems were connected and working on the, um, the now you know, connected um, uh, social work department and um, you know, dealing with any issues, and she had no computer background whatsoever. So I ended up doing that. I did that for a year. Um, I also created like, the first website for the social work department uh, that summer. Um, they hired me to uh, work, work full-time that summer. And then the following year, I worked for the campus NOC. Um When I graduated, um, again, you know, I graduated with, with a, a fair amount of student loan debt. Uh, I wouldn't be able to pay back very easily as a family counselor. So I decided to uh, go ahead and pursue uh, technology. I moved to Denver um, and I've been here ever since. Uh, So I started off like the first three years of my career uh, doing IT and then I took a a Checkpoint Firewall class in the late 90s and I became smitten with security from then on. So uh, um, so, um, yeah, I, I credit that to Checkpoint. I actually still have my course books from that course because it's, uh, you know, means a lot to me because that's, that's what really steered my uh, career the way it is now. And yeah, I, I just really enjoyed that. So I was hands-on technical for, for several years, uh, doing engineering, architecture, incident response. Um, I, I spent, uh, um, a number of years, uh, on a dedicated incident response team. I, I did the digital forensics on that team and then I started moving into management. So, um, you know, in my role as, as CISO of Repay, this is the fifth uh, security program I've run. Uh, it's my second one uh, with a CISO title. I always say, make that distinction because it does make a big difference if uh, you have the CISO title or not um, when you're running a security program, and uh, that, that just kind of brings me to today.
1: So what does, um, tell us a little bit about Repay and what, what they do and what is your, I mean, we Most of us probably know what your primary role is, but how big is your security team? And um, again, the first part of that is what does Repay do?
2: Yeah, so Repay is a a fintech company. Um, We have several different uh, solutions. Uh, Repay has made um, a a large number of acquisitions um, in the recent years um, after they went uh, public. And so, yeah, we move money. uh, We process money. Um, yeah, that, that's probably the best way to describe the company. So there's, there's a lot of different technologies. And, and because of all the acquisitions, I've had um, to deal with some, some very interesting challenges uh, for mergers and acquisitions uh, type security, uh, you know, putting together like a, a good checklist of when we uh, acquire another company, and then just some of the, the, the things that need to be done in the first 30, 60 days um, after the acquisition, um, you know, the, the, the deal is signed. Uh, to be able to get to, you know, some of the key areas that migrate over. Like, like for example, one of the challenges is that um, when you acquire a company that, um, you know, people in the, the company is being acquired, some of them are like, ooh, you know, repay. Oh, that's too big of a company. You know, we're about, uh, you know, 500 uh, employees. And so for some people, they're like, oh, I'd rather be in a, a much smaller company. And, and, you know, our acquisitions for the most part are, are smaller companies. And so they, they just, you know, don't don't want to work in that environment. And so it's it's really critical to make sure that you get that knowledge transfer done with with those key individuals to make sure that you have have all their um, you know like you know different sites um, like maybe SAS sites or, or servers or, or what have you that they have administrative access to. You need to make sure that, that you get that transferred over. So so that way, um, if they do end up uh, leaving, that that you're not uh, you know caught in a in a really tough position trying to figure out how to get into. Uh, a, a critical system or site, um, and you have no credentials for it. Um, yeah. So, so that's what we do. Um, I, I am, uh, um, yeah, continuing to build out my team. Um, I have, <clears throat> um, lots of compliance, um, um, activities. Uh, we, we do SOC one, SOC twos, PCI, HIPAA, uh, ICFR since we're a publicly traded company and, uh, you know, on the technology side, uh, you know, we're just continuing to, uh, um, um, you know, we, we, have made some, some major, uh, tool purchases. Um, uh, we're, we're kind of done with that for now. Um, we'll, we'll make some more, uh, in the future, but, uh, like, you know, with all of the mergers and acquisitions you know, of just consolidating tools, getting, getting rid of tech debt and standardizing on, on the security stack. So, um, we, we did acquire another company. Um, um, I think it was, uh, it's, it's been over a year ago now. Uh, it was the last acquisition, so about a year and a half ago. And um, it's like, you know, after we acquired that, it's being, okay, boom. You know, here here's the security stack, and this is what will get applied in your environment. Um, I don't care what you have in place, but uh, this is what we're going to do. This is our standard. And then we have, a, you know, centralized uh, management for all of that.
1: So did you come from – was your last uh, CISO role, was that a – were you in financial as well?
2: No, um, I, I was not. I, I was CISO of uh, – some um, years ago of uh um Red Robin the restaurant company and so so I do have experience uh you know on the merchant side um I, I have a few different experiences of of that and then it's interesting being on the payment side because it's uh, it, it's very different but uh all there are also uh, some similarities like you know I had uh, you know quite a bit of experience with PCI uh before before coming here which of course is you know really key to us
1: I would think being on the, fine, the fintech side is a little more stressful. I, I mean, do you get much sleep these days?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is stressful, um, but it, it's, it, it's fun, though. Uh, I like a challenge, and, and uh, um, it's, it's a different challenge than I've had in my career, but it's, a, it's one that I really enjoy.
1: Well, so your topic that you uh, spoke in Denver was truth, miss, and maybe. So um, I want to kind of get into that because you filled, you know, an hour, you know, and you you got great reviews from our attendees. Our attendees in Denver wasn't as high as it typically is. We kind of had all the odds going against us because we were there the day that your basketball team, what are they called? The
2: The Nuggets, yeah.
1: The Nuggets that was like there was a nuggets game that night. and then, um the next week was that big tech company that the big, big tech conference that's just Denver based. But we still had a really great turnout, but it still wasn't the best time to be there. It'd be like the Cardinals going to the World Series and us having a conference that they, most people are getting ready for the Nuggets game. But yeah. <laughs> congratulations, congratulations that you guys, uh, I, w- I had no idea about the Nuggets until I was in Denver and I was happy to see that you uh, won the whole thing. So,
2: Yeah, but anyway. it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I, I still have to kind of like pinch myself and be like, wait, no, the Nuggets? The Nuggets actually won the whole thing because, you know, they, they've been uh, – you know, just a, a a pretty average team, like you know, for their entire existence, and so it, it, it was pretty exciting to see them uh, finally win after, uh, um, what was it like, forty six years, I think, of uh, uh, the, in a, um, that the franchise has been around.
1: Yeah, that's it's that's fun when you're involved. Like when when the Blues won the Stanley Cup, it had been our city went nuts. So I imagine Denver probably went pretty crazy that weekend when that yeah. happened.
2: And, <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, and St. Louis is definitely a sports city. That, that's where I went to, uh, got my first master's degree. I, I was in St. Louis, and uh, you know that's that's as much as Denver is is all about football. Um, St. Mm-hmm. Louis is all about baseball. Um, it's yeah. all about the Cardinals there. So that that yeah, was it's... that was pretty neat when I lived there.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's too bad the Cardinals aren't doing too well this year. But anyway, that's a whole nother topic. Well, we have the
2: Rockies <laughs> who lost what was it twenty-five to one or something like that uh, the other day. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, I I have to say, going over to the um, Mile High Stadium and trying to Uber out of there, I felt like it was like I was in an apocalypse. It was like you, it's almost like it's its own island getting off. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you've ever had to experience that, but that was, that was crazy. Like the traffic to get, I can't imagine what the football games are like every weekend. Must be crazy. But yeah, um, anyway, but back to uh, truth myths and maybes, tell us a little bit if you could let like my audience know um, what you talked about and what, you know, let's just kind of dive into that and what does that mean?
2: Yeah, so about a year ago, um, I decided to start blogging on, on LinkedIn and I'd been thinking about it for a while, I was like, well, what do I really wanna blog about? And you know, I've, I've been doing security for um, over 24 years now and you know in technology for a little over 27 and i was like i I just happened to stumble across this that i keep hearing uh people repeat things that aren't necessarily true or or there's more um you know more consideration that needs to be taken into um you know what's being said um you know I, i think there's a lot of generalizations that are being said and without people really understanding um or, or or considering what, what else uh, uh, is involved uh, with these. So um, so what we can do, um, Kim, if you want, is we can just start going through each one of these. We can have this uh, brief discussion and just kind of move through uh, uh, each yeah, topic I would, that absolutely. i brought up absolutely. I would love to. Okay. Awesome. Um, so the first one I talked about was um, that uh, I often hear people say, well, um, that HR creates unrealistic job descriptions. And so this is usually in the context of, you know, we we have a shortage of cybersecurity uh, professionals. I think what is the number now? I mean, it keeps changing. Like, what are they saying now? Like two and a half million worldwide, or or, or something like that. And I, I often hear people say, "Oh, well, you know, one of the obstacles of of you know um, you know people landing uh, cybersecurity jobs is HR, and they say that HR creates a unrealistic job descriptions. So it might be like you know requiring ten years of experience when maybe only two to four years are are needed, or you know, requiring 20 years of cloud experience when the cloud hasn't been around that long. And so what I did, um, and, and this was my, my first post that I did on, on LinkedIn. So, you know, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, wait, um, I think, you know, people are looking at this in the wrong way because for, I, I think, I, I don't recall a time um, that I've been a leader that I, I haven't written my own job descriptions. Um, HR reviews and approves them, but I'm the one who specifies the skills I needed and the number of years that, um, that I feel are necessary to demonstrate that proficiency in those areas. And so, yeah, so that, that was just the, you know, first thing I brought up with the, um, with the audience.
1: And then, um, what was your, what was your, then let's just keep moving on. So you talked okay. about that and then you moved into your next point.
2: Yeah. The, the next one is that, uh, um, I hear people, um, and, and there's lots of webinars on like, you know, how sisters are supposed to speak to the board. And, um, you know, people will often say, well, the, the, the board, um, you know, they'll, they'll say that the, the board doesn't want to um, hear the tactical planning, just the strategic planning. Um, they just want to hear the end results, but not the steps for how security leader is going to get there. Um, and so the generalization is that boards aren't technical. Uh, the problem with this is that generalizations and assumptions can just really land you into trouble. So when I hear statements like these, um, I think back of a major concept that was you know taught in my um, you know, freshman English 101 class of that uh, you need to know your audience. Uh, so I present, in the course of my career, I presented the boards that had little technical knowledge. And those boards were mostly made up of like CEOs of other companies. And so they really only wanted to hear the high level details. Um and then I presented to boards who are very technical and they wanna know um, the low level details of how I'm gonna get there. So, you know, it's really important to know uh, what your audience is. So, you know, one, one of the things that, that um, can be difficult, like if you're a CISO in a new, you know, if you, you land a new, new CISO role, and you know, you're just kinda of learn, learning the lay of the land, you don't necessarily know right away before you present to that board of, of what they really want but it is important that you send, you know, set the right tone um, because, you know, um, first impressions, you know, do mean a lot, um, you know, um, also in, you know, presenting to the board. So what I recommend in those situations is that you you speak with your other C-level leaders like the CEO, CFO, um, CTO, whoever, and just ask them, you know, know what what sort of material do you present to the board and what level of detail is the board looking for are they interested in technical detail or they want just a high level um such um is that so and then also you know another thing i I present to uh uh, the audience at the future con denver was that um of course you need to be very prepared when you go into the board meeting and so when i go into the board meetings i'll really like you know after i put together my material I try to put myself in their um, seat and be like, what questions uh, would they potentially ask me? And then I'll come up with my answers. So that way when they ask me, you know, those questions, then I have, you know, I'm, I'm really crisp uh, with my responses and um, can just really give, you know, provide the answers that they're, they're looking for, are, you know, looking forward to their questions. Um, you know, and there's, there's times that you'll be asked questions that you don't know um and so it's okay to say that that you're not sure but you know assure them that that you're going to do some research you're going to check into it and then you'll get back to them uh uh, with that answer um and then also the the final thing i I said about uh uh, presenting a board which i i don't hear in in like these different webinars and, and sessions about how how you're supposed to present to the board is that um build a relationship with your board members um keep in mind that uh it's, it's likely that they serve on boards of other companies and those other companies may not even have a CISO. Um, and so you can help them be successful in their other board positions. So like, you know, like take, for example, like when the last pass uh, breach happened, you know, send some, you know, send some articles uh, to the board members um, outside of uh, your regular, you know, quarterly or however often you speak with the board members, you know, just to send an email with, with that information with a little bit of uh, of, of your, um, you know, opinions and thoughts on it just to help them, uh, you know, to be prepared. So, um, you know, when you share with them, that tr- turns into a partnership. Um, I do have uh, uh, CISO peers who are like, man, my, you know, my relationship with my board is, is adversarial. Um, and sometimes it's, it's going to be that way. It depends on the makeup of your board. But if you um, kind of extend an olive branch and, and, and try to partner with them, then I think that that uh, can help that at least be less adversarial.
1: I have a couple of questions on that. A, you know, you, you also sat on the um, CISO panel later that day in Denver, and there was a list of questions. And those questions were originally, um, I try to keep them as updated as I can, but I had a CISO write those questions up for me like a year ago. And I was like, okay, I need to update these now and with chat GPT. It's, it's kind of a nice little tool to throw those questions in. And, but one of the questions on there, and I don't know if I had them on there um, when you were there, it was about the board. And I'm not certain, do you feel it's important when our audience is a mix of we do have CISOs in the audience, um, but you know, a lot of senior level directors, you know, maybe even some senior level engineers. Um, maybe even some mid-level people, do you think it's important for them to even hear those questions and what the CISO has to deal with with the board? Is that something important for them to hear? I took it out because I felt like that wasn't very pertinent to them, but maybe I'm wrong.
2: Um, Yeah, I I think it is important because, um, you know, so so how I structure – structure with my team because um my my leadership style is is very much servant leader so you know i I tell my team or like i get the pleasure to to go brag about what you are doing to the board and so um it's important for them then to get that feedback back from the board of like hey you know i I wish you guys were doing things this way or, or that way or i wish i'd you know you um change your metrics in a certain way, because it doesn't give me a clear picture. So yeah, I, I, I very much uh, communicate that back to my team, because, and they even ask me, like, if, if I don't uh, volunteer it, um, they'll be like, you know, how, how'd the meeting go? Um, what came up in the meeting? So um, I think when you approach it that way of that, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a spokesperson for, for my team. Now, I'm, I'm the leader, of course, but, uh, you know, I'm the spokesperson to the board representing my team. And so um, it, it's important to to try to um, create a, a bi-directional um, communication uh, path that way.
1: Um, and then the second part of my question is, have you seen a change with the board being more interested in what's happening on the security teams in the last, you know, three to four years when we've seen so many public breaches that we're seeing now on the news? And I feel like, I feel like it's more in the forefront than it used to be probably before COVID. Are you seeing yeah. the board more interested in what you have to say now versus five years ago?
2: Oh yeah. It's definitely very different than that was five years ago. Um, especially like, you know, ransomware is a huge problem. And so, um, you know, the board, I mean, you know, they, they read some of the same articles you do. And so they're like, wow, this could be a really big expense. And, um, you know, to the company, um, it could, you know, take a big reputational hit um if there's a breach. So yeah, the board's very interested in that. And then now with the SEC rule that that comes into effect uh this year, that where uh boards are held more accountable for cyber breaches and of course, um yeah, they are um very much uh more interested and uh you know and, and sisters are need to be prepared for that because you're going to be asked some hard questions, and you need to have some good answers to that, or at least a good plan in place of like, yeah, we're not, uh, you know, doing this currently, but here's a plan for us uh, uh, doing that in the future, in the near future. Or um, so I, I also share a roadmap uh, with, with the board, and they're, um, you know, welcome to provide feedback. Be like, well, you know, we don't think that this is quite as important. Um, you know, we, we're really concerned about this. You know, what are your thoughts? And so, um, yeah, no, the, the board is definitely much more engaged.
1: Well, I would think, you know five years ago, people's mindset, well, it's not going to happen to us. And that's, I, I, I don't think people are thinking that way anymore, you know, that it, it could very well happen to us any minute. So, um, it's, yeah. And especially you're in a financial company. So that, that to me, I would think your board um, should be pretty invested in what you have to say. Yeah.
2: So. Well, and, and then, um, then too, you know, when you think about like five years ago, um, people, you know, I think referred to security more as IT security, and now they're realizing it's like, you know, um, information security is much more than than just IT uh, risks. That there's um, there's a lot of company wide risks that uh, um, that that we deal with.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's we that's kind of our motto on our website is you know security is not just an IT problem anymore, and it hasn't been an IT problem for especially since COVID. You know pre-COVID, post-COVID, it never really was, but now yeah. people are more accountable for it. And people um definitely, when people ask you what you do, I know I've been doing this for 20 something years. They're like, oh, you do that. Not, you know, like, I don't know. People are more invested, more, they, especially since J- chat GPT has come around, you know, that definitely yeah. has, triggered a lot of conversations and if we have time i do want to talk about that but i want to keep on the path of what your next point is
2: and yeah and and and, and a little bit to, to kind of close out that thought a little bit is that um and this this is this one of the things that i brought up with the audience um is that you know one of our successes in in cybersecurity is that that most people in the general public know what uh, a phishing email is um that's great. I mean, you know, phishing email is, is like a huge threat vector. Um, that's, that's a, you know, a, a, a big percentage of, of breaches and compromises are started from a phishing email. So that's great that the general public uh, actually knows what that is and has a little bit of understanding of what to look for, um, you know, for, you know, malicious links and, um, you know, poor grammar, and poor spelling, those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I mean, for those of us who've been in security, be like, yeah, well, I've known that for you know all the past you know fifteen years or whatever. But the, the general public now knows about, which um, I I think is is, is great um, that that they're able to have that knowledge and and be able to um, uh, protect themselves.
1: And I think that like mainstream media and you know, there's been so much especially, again, I keep bringing up COVID, but I feel like all these streaming channels have so many documentaries on, you know, things that have happened to people that it definitely, you know, people are more involved in what's going on with the world and being, becoming more aware. But unfortunately, the bad actors are just getting more trickier and trickier. So, um, you know, again, the general public still can be fooled pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all can be fooled pretty easily, but um, hopefully we're definitely evolving.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I, um, it's probably not the percentage that we want um, to see that uh, aren't falling for this uh, because, you know, think about it. It's like, you know, we all still get to tell marketing calls um, and, you know, um, scam calls like that. So, I mean, th- those people are still doing it because they're effective and they're able to to scam people out of their money and, and they make money off of that. So, um, yeah, yeah so we, had, we still got to keep I, working.
1: <laughs> I had one that was, it, it tricked me. Luckily I didn't get too involved into it, but Palo Alto is, you know, one of our customers and I don't, you know, I told them about it and Cloudflare, I've had some things going on with them and I don't think I'm, being bad saying their names but it's just you know we sell them account and then it says spam call and you know they're calling Mm -hmm. to verify my bank information and I'm like um I've never had anyone call me on the phone to verify my bank information I'm not comfortable with that you know so I, I I just I'm like I think this is a phishing call and then the person hung up but it's just so easy as a consumer still to think that you trust who's calling you, and especially if it's a big name like Palo Alto, you're just like, and you just, it's just crazy to me that, you know, those simple things that, you know, if I was just in accounting and they called me, luckily our accountant, they called her too, and she is not even tech savvy at all. And she didn't answer their question. She's like, yeah, I've never had anyone call me and ask me this. I, you're going to have to call our CEO and ask her. And they did. Yeah. But it's uh, it's still, it's just still the the telemarketing calls. They're, they are very tricky, you know, but they do, the phones are getting better because they do say spam alert on mm-hmm. it, but not all of them are spam. So yeah. it's a
2: tough call. Exactly. And then it's like altered everybody's behavior. So it's like, very rare. I mean, if, if I get a phone call, and it's not a number I recognize, I just don't answer it. And whereas I mean, I don't know how many years ago, it's like, you know, you'd answer like every call that came to your phone. Um, But it's like not anymore. And so for me, it's like either a spam call or it's a vendor, um, you know, yeah, unsolicited. We, have, uh, <laughs> we vendor, have so. that.
1: Unfortunately, we're a smaller company, and we we go through like a remote place that our phone calls come into, and they if if they a lot of times forward to my phone, so I have to answer it because I think it's a customer. And nine times out of 10, it's not. It's a telemarketer. But the one time mm-hmm. I don't answer it, then I get that voicemail exactly. I feel bad, you know. But anyway, so going yeah. on to your myth number. So we've covered two or three. Are we going on number three?
2: Yeah, we'll go on number three now. So okay. so next one that I, that I uh, went into is that, um, and, and again, you know, is this the truth? Is it a myth or, or is it a maybe? Of um, that you need to have cybersecurity-related certifications to be effective, land a job, or to be taken seriously in the industry. Um, you know, there's, there's arguments for um, both um, for and against uh, all those notions. Um, and then, in addition, I, th- I think uh, uh, people have just a strong opinions of, like, whether you should maintain the certifications or let them expire. Um, so there, there's twice in my career that I can think of that I moved into a new job at a new company because of certification I had but when i really think about it was it because of the certification or was it more because i had a certain level of knowledge i was able to demonstrate because i'd gone through the steps of taking the course and taking the the certification exam um you know like a lot of people who've been in the career for a long time like me um i've had a number of uh, certifications over the course of my career um i let many of them expire like i don't think i need to have my mcse um for NT four O, uh, anymore. So, um, there's, of course, there's no, no way I'd be able to maintain that anyhow, but, uh, I just, you know, can I say that in jest, but, uh, um, but you know, there's a number of those kind of certifications as I had, I just let them expire. Um, but there's some, I still maintain, um, some because of what I took to earn them. Some of them were, were difficult. Um, you know, for some people, the CISSP exam is easy. Um, I did not find it easy when I took it in the early two thousands. And, uh, um, so I still maintain that. Um, I also still maintain my project management certificate, uh, professional certification, the PMP, um, because that was also a, a tough exam to pass. So, you know, I have a lot of pride in, in being able to, to pass those exams. And so, you know, I still want to maintain those, uh, at least through the, the duration of my career. Um, I, I do maintain a few SAN certifications, um, because, um, I, in my role as a CISO, it's like, I'm not hands-on technical, but it's important for me to stay, um, at least have technical understanding to be able to to support my team. And then plus also, you know, I'll get pinged, um, you know, several times a week and be like, hey, Marlon, if we do this, is this going to be secure? Well, I need to have technical understanding to be able to, you know, provide the right answer uh, for that situation. Um, A few years ago, I, I took a few AWS and Azure courses and the related certification exams. And again, I just took the exams because it forces um you know a person to dive deep into material and really learn it in, in order to pass the, the exam so when, when those uh, certifications expire i really have no intentions of uh, of renewing them um you know as a hiring manager i, I do look at certifications that, that people have um it gives me an understanding of uh um different areas of cybersecurity security on um, the individual knows i mean there's so many different areas of cybersecurity as as a lot of people know um compared to when uh you know, I first started off my career, which was basically like, oh, we had a firewall. We might have, like, free snort for IDS, and we had antivirus, and that was about it. We didn't really have uh, much else. We, you know, we, we patch systems, and we harden systems, but uh, that was about it. Security is a lot simpler uh, um, uh, back then than it is today. So so it is important for me to just, you know, see, um, you know, what certification someone has. And one thing that it may be an indication, again, I'll make a generalization because uh, um, it may not uh, – uh, be accurate for every situation but it might indicate that the person is lifelong learner which I do b- firmly believe that that is an important quality for anyone to have um, a successful career in cybersecurity because it is always changing and you have to have that curiosity and desire to um, go out and keep learning and uh, and uh, keep furthering your skills so that way you can keep up with all those changes.
1: Do you find that some of your security team, especially the younger ones are coming in with information where you're like, wow, I didn't know that at your age because we have, you know, progressed so much of what they're learning and, you know, school or wherever. Mm-hmm. Are you learning from your
2: team? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I've said this for, for most of my career of that. I I can learn from the most senior person. I can learn from the most junior person and, again, that, that, that really um, is, is one of the reasons why I really embrace uh, uh, servant leadership, because it just keeps you open to that. instead. So, like, I'm the boss and, you know, you're going like, to just, you know, do what I say. It's like, no, the, the, there's so many different uh, things to look at and perspectives that um, like, like, for example, my compliance analysts, they're, they're seeing our environment from a, a different angle than, than my technical people uh, on my team. And so um you know, they're involved in in a lot of the the technical decisions because they'll be like, yeah, well, you know, what about this, you know, in in this particular environment, uh, you know, if we were to implement a a new uh, technology. So, yeah, I I think you just have to be open to that because, um, you know, people come, they also come from different backgrounds too. So, um, you know, there are people who, um, may have, uh, went to law school and and they're working in cybersecurity. So they're going to have a different perspective on things. So, um, yeah i mean i've been you know people just come from a lot like i said just a lot of different backgrounds i mean i have no no technology uh degrees uh for my my um uh, college degrees i have i have three college degrees and and none of them are in technology so i have a different perspective um on some things than then others do who i uh, came through you know maybe a cybersecurity uh um program well
1: having a great team is priceless. So I can definitely say that cuz I have a great team and you can't do it without a great team. And it's not easy always finding a great team, but when you have a great team, you have to take care of your team. So
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um the other question I was going to ask you was on the certifications. I don't I have no idea because I'm not an IT person. When you do your certifications, are you just doing those online or do you still have to like go to SANS classes or how do you do your certifications now?
2: Yeah. So, um, for like SANS, um, you can do it remotely. Um, my, my, my most recent SANS certification, which was I think like three years ago, maybe, um, I did that, um, online. Um, it was, uh, if I remember right, I think it was, you know, I, I I don't, I don't remember. So I know SANS has like a, a few different options you can do. Virtual on-demand, so, you know, those are, are uh, recorded sessions, and then you, uh, you know, play them back at, at your leisure and, and uh, you know, when you have time and you work your way through those. Uh, they do have uh, virtual live uh, courses, and then, you know, they still have in-person. So they can really accommodate uh, um, whatever, uh, um, you know, works best for you. And then in terms of, of taking the certification exams, I th- I don't remember um, for SANS. I think it is – I think it is true for SANS. I think you can take the, the certification exam uh, uh, um, from home. Uh, you can take it virtually. Um, I know for the AWS and Azure exams that I took uh, um, three years ago, uh, those are all virtual. And it's kind of interesting. So I sat myself in, in uh, you know, my spare bedroom. And, and when you get online, you have to, like, you know, take take your laptop and pan the room so that way, you know, they, they can see what the what's in the room and see if you have any uh, um you know, any cheat sheets or anything like that around. And so um, so, so I, I feel like uh, they, they do a pretty good job, I think, of, uh, of ensuring the integrity of those exams um, by doing it virtually. But, uh, yeah, it, it's nice to have that option, especially for people who, you know, with COVID, with people like, you know, fleeing uh, large metropolitan areas and, and going to uh, more rural areas, like, you know, they may not have a, a testing center that, that's located close to them.
1: That's exactly where I was going with that is how do you know the integrity of some of these exams, especially now that we do have, you know, well, we've always had Google, but now we have chat GPT that can, you know, answer a lot of that stuff. How are they, how do you think that's going to affect the integrity of some of the exams that maybe they're not making you pan the room, you know, where where do you see, where do you see the future of just the honesty of people and where we're moving when it comes to, because I can't imagine maybe SANS is a little stricter, but is every one of those certifications that strict?
2: Um, so, so when I took the Azure and AWS uh, exams uh, virtually, and again, I, I, I don't recall, um, I think the SANS one was, was virtual, but I, I, I just don't remember. Um, but I, I do know that when I, when I took those uh, virtual exams for AWS and Azure, and I don't remember which switch testing center, um, it's, it's, you know, through one of the major ones, if it's Pearson or um, you know some of the others. So I'm not endorsing any of them, but uh, um, mm-hmm. there's only just a, a handful of them. And um, so I had to install their software on my system, and and so their software will detect if you have a browser open, and and wow. so so you have to do everything through through their application, and you have to like stay within you have to have your camera on. And so they have proctors who are watching you and your, your, um, you know, microphone is on. So they're, they're monitoring you pretty closely, um, with what, with what uh, you're doing. So, um, so with that, I'm not worried about chat GBT. Um, now again, if someone really wants to cheat, they're going to find, you know, some creative way, um, of, of getting around that, just like our attackers, you know, find creative ways of breaking into our network. So, uh, um, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I I think it works, um, and and I think the testing centers are are in front of it. At least uh, they were uh, three years ago.
1: I know that a friend of mine who's an attorney who has to keep his certifications up for being an attorney. When we he was telling me, you know, once a year you know, he he used to have to physically go to these classes, but now they can do them online. You know, like, you you have to be watching the camera because at any given time, something will pop up. It says, enter 123 or something, just so they know you're there. And I'm like, okay, I was trying to figure out how to do that when we were in virtual only, but I could, you know, like, are my attendees really there? Because I'm sure sometimes a lot of them aren't, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But I find that interesting that, you know, people have had to be so creative to just make sure because we we do live in a virtual, you know, we run all of our events hybrid. It's not about COVID Mm -hmm. anymore. It's just about people's time. And like you said, people have moved out far away and they can't make it to venues. And we're just, you know, families have gone down to one car because they don't need two cars anymore because, you know, maybe one of the they're working from home. I mean that their life is different than it was five years ago. So yeah. I think we'll continue to evolve to make sure people are keeping, you know, the integrity of, you know, even college students, but but I do know that professors cannot tell if something was done by chat gpt so i've talked to a few of them so it is very interesting i know we're we're starting to get to the end of the hour so let's try to get to like your next i don't think we'll get to all your points but let's get to your next point
2: yeah i think we probably have enough time for what maybe two more points and uh, yeah yeah. um, because there's one i definitely want to end with so i I just kind of scanned through that I i was watching the Watching the time. So I just kind of scanned in some of the ones. I think, I think a good one here that to bring up is, um, you know, about the security awareness training, um, you know, I mean, does it really reduce the risk in the organization? Um, and so, you know, one thought is like, well, yes, I mean, it does because people just want to um, know what to do um, that everybody wants to help keep the company secure. They just need to you know have the tools and knowledge to do so. Um, there's other people who take the approach that like, well, the training is needed only for compliance reasons. Um, and so that um, with that, we need to have as many technical controls in place as possible because we just can't trust our employees to make the right decisions. And so, you know, more discussion on this, you know, like everybody knows, like, you know, with the with security awareness training, you know, they, they cover various topics such as phishing emails, removable media, um, you know, creating and safeguarding uh, complex passwords, physical security, Wi-Fi, um, using mobile devices in a a secure manner and and so on. Um, I have to say, you know, I I think the training has greatly matured over the the past uh, several years, um, especially from when it started off with uh, early in my career, it's much better. Uh, you know, they include gamification in the, in the, uh, training now. So it keeps people engaged and, and make it fun. Um, and, um, but the, the problem is that, uh, or at least one of the problems is that, um, I I still think that uh, um, security awareness training isn't as effective as, as we'd like it to be because we're just telling people what to do. Um, Nobody wants to just be told what to do um, or most people don't. And, and here's, here's the, the disconnect is that, you know, we're just telling people what to do, but we're not uh, telling them or teaching them what the uh, consequences of our, I'm sorry, what the consequences of their actions or inactions are. So, like, if they click on a, on a um, link in a phishing email, it's like, okay, so what? You know, what does that really do? Um, the security awareness stream it does do a little bit better job of, of, of showing that, but I think it needs to be uh, um, personalized a little bit more uh, to individuals so they, they can really understand that. And uh, uh, in, in my session, uh, um, you know, in, in Denver, um, I, I brought up an example of uh, – of, um, you know, security awareness training, but it wasn't related to cybersecurity. So it was actually related to phys- physical security. So uh, uh, late last year, um, I visited uh, Volcanoes National Park in Hawaii. And I don't know if you've been there, Kim. Have, have you been to Volcanoes National Park?
1: I, I have, actually. I, I was in the military, and I was stationed in Hawaii for four years, so I have. Oh,
2: nice. So so, <laughs> yeah. so do you remember, like, like along the walking path that they have these, these signs of, like, danger, stay on the path, don't go off the mm-hmm. path? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so for those of you who haven't been to to Volcanoes National Park, they have these signs, you know. And if you go off path, you could actually fall into a steam vent. So it looks like it's a uh, you know solid ground, but when you step, it could be like really soft, and you fall into a steam vent and get seriously injured. And there was also a placard that uh, um, uh, described uh, or gave details of a story of a of a young child who uh, got seriously uh, burned because of going off trail, but. Um, Kim, I'm, I'm sure you can guess what happened. It's like when we were there, you know, seeing all the signs, um, I still saw a number of tourists going off path because, you know, their selfies were, were more important than, than staying on on path and staying safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how this relates to our security awareness training is like, well, we're telling people what to do, but you know, and, and, and like I said, the security awareness training is getting better. And so people are learning consequences, but they're still making poor choices, um, you know, at work. So that's kind of my illustration then with the Volcanoes National Park of like, you can only do so much and people, you know, have free will and they're going to still make the choices that they uh, choose to make.
1: They're still going to click on that link that says click on this and you're going to get a $50 whatever. And that's going to be more important to them than what the CISOs told you not to do or the security team told you not to do. Really quick, I do want to say, you know, we we... We do a lot of these bourbon virtual happy hours, and the CISOs talk to each other about what works for them and what doesn't. And one CISO from a big, uh, big bank, big big bank, they have security training day. I think they do it once a quarter, and they just send out tons of phishing emails. And the winner, they just do it to the whole staff, and whoever wins by not like I, I forgot how he does it, but they end up getting like um, like a you know, one of those little game games. I can't think of what it's called. You know, the you 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 know, my daughter has one. The little the little game. I oh, like
2: the what, what Nintendo Switch. Yeah, whatever. and
1: then What's yeah, that? the Nintendo yeah. DS. So they'll give those out. So now his teams, like out of everything they do, they look forward to security training day because oh, that's awesome. A, yeah, there's a prize they get for it you know and so now they're actually invested in trying to figure out is this a phishing email or is it not and it's just a game the security team plays with the whole you know staff so now because there's something in it for them they're more invested in it
2: so yeah exactly another thing that i I, um, covered as as part of this topic uh, with the audience was that um, october is Cybersecurity awareness month and take advantage of that um CISA has a lot of free resources that you can use and I've used some of their resources. Uh, one of the things I did in an organization I worked in is I worked with uh, the communications department and, um, they recorded videos of, of the executives acting out, uh, TikTok videos, um, for, uh, you know, different, uh, um, you know, security awareness topics like, you know, finding USB drive on the ground and, you know, throwing it away, saying that was so cringe and, you know, th- things like that. So, uh, um, so, so you can have some fun with it, and we'll uh, uh, keep the audience engaged, or keep. I'm not that, but uh, um, I guess it's you know, yeah, your audience uh, at that point uh, since they're watching the video. But uh.
1: yeah, and so your last uh, topic, because we're down to about four minutes. What is your last important topic you wanted to touch on?
2: Yeah, and I, I know this is going to resonate uh, strong with you, Kim. Is that uh, you know since you uh, work with a lot of security people and. Um, you know, really it's, it's, you know, keep your ego in check. Um, there, there are, uh, you know, we, we talked about this before. You can learn from the most, uh, junior level person to the most senior level person on your team. And, um, I brought up the example and I think Kim, I think you and I might, may have talked about this, that, uh, I think you may have met, uh, or, or knew, uh, uh, Michael Asante, um, who had um, passed away about four years ago. Um, but uh, for those of you who don't know, I'll just go really quick since we had, um, are short on time now, is that uh, he's the one who led the Aurora Generator Project at I/O National Labs uh, many years ago. And because of his work, he really raised awareness for what could happen to our power grid if the cyber attackers were to uh, um, attack it and you know, that they, how easy it would be for them to um, create a massive uh, disruption with that. And Mike, Michael was uh, recognized worldwide for his efforts in industrial control security. Um, unfortunately, he passed away. Um, it's, it's about four years ago now, actually four four years ago in just a few days. And uh, I, I was actually personal friends with him, not just industry friends, but I was actually personal friends with him. So I, I, I knew him pretty well um, on that level. And, you know, here's a guy that uh, um, he was talking to to leaders around the world, congressional members and such. And he just had no ego to him. Um, you talk to him and I mean, he was authority. You recognized that he was an authority in the space, but he didn't, he wasn't like boastful or rude about it, that um, he was just a, you know, really friendly guy. And, and after he um, passed away, the day after he passed away, he was recognized on both floors of Congress for his work in cybersecurity. So what a huge honor. And so I, I guess, uh, you know, for people who have an ego in cybersecurity, it's like, well, there's always going to be someone who's better. And second of all, it's, it's just not not the way to be. It's like, you know, we're all trying to work really hard. We all have the same goal in mind of keep our organizations and ourselves safe. And we can do that without, uh, um, you know, just letting you go get in the way.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to end because there's, I've met so many wonderful people, more wonderful people in the industry than the people that, do need to check their ego. But there are some of them out there. And it's a shame because we are all in this together. And I had, you know, I didn't know you, you, you said yes to a LinkedIn message that you would come and keynote our event. And I love when that happens. And I got to know you at the event. And you're just a really great guy. And Um, I mean, you're the perfect example that you do not have, you know, uh, you're just real. You're a normal, real guy doing great things. So... We are at the end. uh, Merlin Namath, who is the Chief Information Security Officer from Repay, thank you for spending the last hour with us. Thank you for keynote speaking in Denver. Thank you for saying yes. And thank you for all the hard work you're doing in the industry. Everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of And Security for All. I hope you guys all have a fabulous weekend. Enjoy the 4th of July. And you guys all stay safe and secure. And we'll see you next week.
0: cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training, discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureCon HQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host Seamless Podcast, started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.